0: Flourishing Education, the podcast where I share the powerful imperfectly perfect conversations with disruptors of the education system in the UK and beyond. I would really like to encourage you to take a listen and see what's possible as I ask the question, how can we change the way we educate and parent our children and young people so that they can truly become flourishing curious Lifelong learners and young adults. I hope you enjoy these episodes as much as I've enjoyed recording them and creating them. Please do not hesitate to connect with me on LinkedIn, Fabian Vells, and/or and/or on Twitter at FlourishingHE. And please let me know what's your favorite episode or favourite part of the podcast. I look forward to hearing from you, and in the meantime, I truly hope you are thriving and flourishing, wishing you a fabulous day wherever you
1: are in the world. Hello, and welcome to another
0: Imperfectly Perfect Conversation for the Flourishing Education podcast. Today, so it's tonight for me, uh, but I believe it's still daytime for my guests. Uh, I welcome David Penberg. Is that that how I pronounce your name? Yeah, That's
2: Um, how you
0: do it. So David, very warm welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you, Fabio.
0: Yeah, wonderful. So... I'm gonna give you the only question I give my guests. In fact, I lie. There's two questions I have set always. The first and the end of the podcast. So I'll give you the first one. And then the end of the podcast is, you know, sharing what's your key takeaway is. So you know what's coming towards the end. Um, but the, the, my first question to, to get us on, you know, started on this, uh, lovely conversation to see where it takes us is would you tell us a bit more about you so where you are in the world
2: Mm
0: -hmm. um and your journey thus far so we get Mm -hmm. to know you a bit more
2: sure well um at present the place that i inhabit is in uh upstate new york in the catskills and so leading and I'm I'm urban by, by birth, by disposition, by many things. Um, so, this, since the since 2018, and certainly during the pandemic, life here became a sanctuary um, in many many ways. After a after running a school during the pandemic, after experiencing loss during and after the pandemic. It um, was a remarkably revitalizing place to to inhabit. My neighbors are brown bears, um, no black bears, excuse me, excuse me. Black bears, (laughs) uh, wild turkeys, and of course birds of every kind um, and water. So um, that's where I am right now, um, physically, spiritually. I've led a peripatetic life. I've I've uh, been an itinerant schoolhead, really, uh, much of four decades, um, and that's been a remarkable journey. That began in New York City, which is my home. I am a native, uh, native countryman of the Bronx. Um, that's where my ancestors roamed in an early part of my life, but. Um, as an educator, I've been really fortunate. To um, the the world, in many ways, has been my university, my classroom. Um, it began when I graduated from Bard College um, in the late '70s, and uh, I I wanted to be a an actor. Um, I did not. Think of myself becoming an educator, um, but I I had my first cross-cultural experience to Bogota, Colombia, and um, that turned out to be four years. And I was an ESL instructor, in English as a Second Language teacher, and as a as a writer and as a a language literature major, it was it felt yeah this is this is really interesting. And I taught literature at a at a, a local university. But that first uh, foray into uh, one Latin America and to being an expat proved to be and oh, and continue to be quite transformative um, in my own evolution as a person and as a teacher. Um, uh, I, I I can't do this chronologically, <laughs> so there's just there's there's these touch points in life. I when I, le- I so after life in Bar- in, in Bogota, Colombia, um, and having my first child born there, uh, I returned to New York City, and that's where I um, serendipitously, like so much in life, uh, I found my way to Bank Street College of Education. And in that process, I discovered and did a graduate, a master's degree. I discovered my ancestry, my my intellectual ancestry, um, and uh, it was it was a very powerful time. And I was introduced to the 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 life and the work of Lucy Sprague Mitchell, and and exposed to some extraordinary individuals who really lived the progressive tradition uh, they were radical, uh, they were learner-centered, and they were deeply committed to human growth, and so I soaked that all in, and, um, I was, I didn't want to work in schools, I wanted to work in community settings, (laughs) so that's what happened. I, I graduated with, uh, a kind of specialization in leadership in, 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 uh, non-traditional settings, something like that, and I found myself uh, at a place called The Door in New York, which um, at the time in 1983, 19, (laughs) not to the 1983, was um, a a model, and I use that very carefully, a model youth program, Uh, and it was for primarily underserved, kids of color, ages 14 to 21. And it operated from four in the afternoon to 10 o'clock at night. And it was a a veritable multifunctional space in which young people had access to every kind of service from legal, to health, to education, to um, mental health, under one roof. In fact, it was a way, it was the NBC warehouse, later to become some thirty years later the first Bed uh, Bed Bath and Beyond. But it was an open warehouse space, no walls. You had these these learn these of course different um, sections. Um, so it was, it was so uh, informative, and I and I landed a job as a coordinator of the EdTech project, which was. A research project looking at Apple computers as a tool for writing.
1: <laughs> wow.
2: and um and so my my life in community spaces have so informed my life as a leader in formal school settings. Um, so multiple lessons uh, and and insights that I I learned from students, from young people, more than anything, there, um, and then went on to run a community center. Really got in over my head, and moved uptown to East Harlem to run a community center in a in a large housing project for a settlement house, and that that was that was uh, quite remarkable too. And and I think some of my most important work happened. Um, it was the beginning of the community garden movement in uh, in New York, the green gorillas and what was popping up in the Bronx and began to spread you know, in upper Manhattan and across all the boroughs. So that was a really important uh, project for teens around nutrition, around building a community garden and an abandoned lot about bringing local people, residents into the fold as many of them were campesinos. And it was, it was wow, got funding to bring, to get artists to do um, ceramic murals and pathways. And um, and it was during the crack epidemic. It was during the height of the crack epidemic and, and places like East Harlem were, um, were hit really hard. Um, so um, that was a really pivotal, critical experience for me, um, being the other you know, white middle-class Jewish guy in, in Spanish Harlem running a community center. Uh, you know, there were there were a lot of contradictions that hit me in the face um, and subsequent to that as well. Um, but wh- what I learned there, aside from the insights again of young people and some extraordinary educators was um, how to tap into community resources how to become a kind of broker of of bartering and getting this arts organization to do this wall mural in turn for space and get this grant to get photography photographers into so it was uh, the f- the first application of that real skill set that is really important in in understanding how and this is back to place to understanding a community. And to engaging in relationships instead of being siloed within whether it's a community center or a public school, right? So uh, I, I, the 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 cross-cultural itch, the 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 kind of call to go abroad, it struck me. It was coming on, and by then I have two young children. Uh, one is seven, the other is two and a half, and uh, a pretty adventurous wife who's an anthropologist at the time. And um, I want to go to China. I want to. Um, I want to have the experience of um, being in a uh, communist um, state. I w- I'm really curious, and so um, I went back to my advisor at Bank Street College, and her advice was, David go make a friend in the consulate, in the education consulate and work it that way. And I did, and it was about two years and I made a very good contact with a coordinator and ended up uh, getting an offer to go to Guangzhou um, where I spent uh, a year with my family. And this was the year of Tiananmen Square. Uh, I spent a year in Southern China uh, as a foreign expert Overseeing a number of other foreign experts and teaching in a language institute as part of Zhongxiao um, Dashway, um, which was Sun Yat, which is Sun Yat-sen University, and one of the more prestigious colleges universities in uh, southern China. Needless to say, that was um, that was quite a transformative, life changing. My children don't remember it <laughs> now as adults, interestingly enough. My oldest daughter was seven, seven and a half at the time. She was the only long nose, um, uh, you know westerner who went to the the this the, the campus school, which was all Chinese. And my little one was two and a half at the time, in between English and and toddler talk, and she's learning Cantonese folk songs in the daycare center. <laughs> so uh... it was uh, and I had never, and so my students were World bank scholars. There were two groups. And they were all scientists. They were the best of the best. And they were about to embark on doing their graduate work, doctoral work in the United States, everywhere. And there was about sixty of them. One group were um, were, cultural revolution victims. And they were people who were very different in terms of demeanor, openness, enthusiasm, very closed for some very clear reasons. And then there was this group that were 20-something and they were part of the the opening door uh, generation. And they were were the most incredible students I've ever had since, Um, their curiosity, their civic pride and historical knowledge of their homes, their towns, their cities, uh, their enthusiasm—just their general goodness—right uh, was remarkable. This is everything from, you know, um, specialist in in cancer to to um, the whole range of scientists, <laughs> and that was quite. Uh, quite a powerful experience, which ended of course, quite tragically. But living through the spring with our university being the center of uh, protest in all of Southern China, and with the the uh, recommendation from the uh, United States consulate to, to vacate, not to be on the campus. And of course we lived and worked there. It um, It went from the heights of I mean, it's all that we could talk about in a language class, right? And it made sense. So write about it, talk about it. Uh, that became the center, and it 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 opened up all kinds of conversation, insight about Chinese history, Chinese culture, um, and then it all um, and then it all ended abruptly, literally from one day to the next we were so the, the 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 foreign affairs office that oversaw the foreigners they they were very they were excellent hosts and we would always travel on the weekends and this time they took us i don't know where but quite far away a train ride away and by the time we're coming back one of our one of our colleagues his wife was a nurse in the american consulate and had been sharing what what is what had taken place and that we needed to know within 24 hours whether we would need to abandon, to leave the university. So within 24 hours, 10,000 people disappeared, students. And that meant all of our students and then the entire student body and a very large university. And the only ones left were the the foreigners, both foreign students and the foreign experts. I've subsequently been able to. It took me about ten years to write an essay about the experience, but needless to say, it was um, one of those powerful events in our lives that, over time, have different impact on us. Um, So I, so uh, I, I, we left as a family, uh, bags in tow, and and the first place that we embarked on in North America uh, by chance was. vancouver british columbia and i took note <laughs> we both took note of hmm, wouldn't this be a divine place to to raise a family and so i went back to new york and i returned to bank street college and, um, and landed a job beginning a, a remarkable program that continues 37 years later uh, called the liberty partnership program a a college, a university community-based organization partnership that was funded by the the governor of New York at the time, Mario Cuomo. And there were some 52 um, university school collaborations across the state. Um, And every college and university really had one. And so I had a chance to take this model of Combining the informal and the formal, and and from paper to create a a program for uh, what were labeled at risk youth, beginning with middle school children uh, from a community school district near Bank Street in the Upper West Side of Manhattan, and given the latitude to create an after school program, a Saturday program, and eventually a a summer program, and that I was I was. Part of it on and off for seven years as the director off because I also went off to do my doctorate in, in after four years. but that was, um, That was so that was so many things that I've learned and used and drawn on everything from the centrality of relationships to um, to getting a much deeper insight of 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 what it is to to be marginal and to be labeled as a kid of color, um, and what what the system does to you, and what happens when you create an alternative for young people that you sustain over time and create the kind of conditions and environment that awakens them to learning and to their potential, when they have to then go back to their schools. So we ran, we put together what we call the weekend college. And we did everything in that weekend college on Saturdays to get a kid out of, you know, a 12 year old kid out of bed. Uh, and we did it exceedingly well, but not but, we populated it with artists and educators who looked like the kids, uh, not all, but who brought that, that sense of connectedness and life knowledge and gifts. And um, the contradictions began to resonate when they went back to their schools, Monday to Friday. Uh, In a very good way, because they were learning, they, they, they they were figuring out what agency meant and what their voices meant and that, wow, they really did have something to say and their ambitions really did matter. And there were adults who could relate and there were opportunities to learn how to make films and opportunities to learn how to make poems. And um, and so we created then a, a summer academy. I went back to Bard College in upstate New York where I had my most important intellectual growth as a young adult. And I went back to the college president, one of the great intellectuals of, of the United States, Leon Botstein, and I I told him what we're doing okay. And so for seven years, uh, for the month of July, we ran uh, an environmental science and writing academy. Uh, It got funded by the National Science Foundation. So that helped to keep it going that long. And um, we would bring at its highest 90 kids at a a, a time, um, two weeks each, began to Kids who graduated from the program would come back and obviously would be counselors and, and peer counselors. Um, that was uh, another remarkable experience for me in in collaborations, institutional collaborations, but also realizing what happens when you grow up only surrounded by concrete. So when you bring up kids, <laughs> to a sanctuary like where I am now, and by the way, I'm only a half an hour from that place. Um, well, city kids are afraid of, of the silence and the crickets and the darkness and the... So it's a whole, you know, somatic and emotional re-adapting to, um, to nature but also the 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 lesson to me, what happens when you can leave your environment, whether it is one that is affluent or one that is impoverished, when you leave it and you're placed in a different one, everything is charged. Everything is elevated. Everything you can see with clarity. And that's what was happening. because you know these kids, they would go two, three years at a time. Uh, consecutively, so it was it was beginning to have real impact. So that was the liberty part of my life. Bank Street College. I don't remember anything else now. Um, I, I, no, I do. What what intervened was of course nine eleven. The need to leave New York and and I and get the itch to go abroad, and that became Mexico City. So I went back to Latin America and had a chance to be in a, a really interesting international American school, and as a head of studies. So I really got my my hands into professional learning and again partnering, collaborating, all wonderful um, things. In fact, there was no Zoom at the time, but and this was an IB school. Um, so I reached out, I reached out to people like Noam Chomsky. Uh, Leon Botstein, Maxine Green, heroes for me. They all agreed to do this, and we did these video conferences in the in the most primitive state of doing video conferences. But it was a remarkable, in hindsight um way of thinking about professional learning um, and having provocative conversation. So Mexico City was uh, an ex- another, really rich cultural experience for me i i then returned some four years later back to new york city where i was working for a reform a school reform organization called new visions for public education and it was the first time and i was i was i was um headhunted actually for it it was quite the first job i got fired from <laughs> um <laughs> Because I also, and and of course, you know, I'm not a victim. I, in, it took about a year and a half to two years and whoever my, the vice president, we just, he did not, he didn't get me and I didn't. And it was a kind of corporate, a kind of pseudo corporate hip world, um, boutique corporate, you know, um, and it didn't work. and I, And I found that rather than being a. An organization that represented change and transformation—they really kind of—they were just a, a proxy for the, the Department of Education, and they talked a language mostly of acronyms. And I have a real problem with acronyms. I didn't know what the hell. It just like it just—it didn't—it didn't connect for me. Although I—I I, again met extraordinary educators, and um, anyway, that that that. Um, that led to the next major opportunity of going abroad, which was Barcelona, and that and that was running um, the Benjamin Franklin uh, International School. Benjamin Franklin, oh, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, and that that was another opportunity to work with a very very diverse community and. Um, had a very uh, active um, um, parent organization, and it was a, a really—I mean, we, I think we had at least forty-five countries represented in a school of about less than four hundred, and um, also um, brought the IB program to the high school. And I'm—I'm—and I'm not a, a necessary advocate or fan of the IB program, but it was about. How you going to elevate yourself as a as a as an international school? Um, I I had exchange programs for students from high schools in New York coming to Barcelona, and our students going to a public high school in uh, in New York to the Bard High School Early College. We had all kinds of exchanges going on, both for students and for um, uh, and for teachers. Um, was able to get funding to have um, scholars in residence and an artist in residence so it was it was a great it was a great um, canvas to being creative um, and uh, and where does that bring me? That brings me back here to the states. Uh, um, that lasted about uh, that was four years um, and Came back to New York and had my first exposure to the charter school world, and 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 I think the and I was in the Lower East Side of of New York, another really rich cultural uh, experience. Um, public school kids coming from all over, um, and I came in to save the school, and and I am not good on white horses or being anyone's savior. It was in trouble. It was an initiative of, of a really interesting Swedish group called Kunskapskolan, and, and this was their their entry point in New York City public schools. Their model has been very successful in Europe, particularly in Sweden and uh, the UK and the Netherlands. Um, they really get personalized learning and do it well and um, know that the environment, the space is is a, is a second curriculum, and really take that into consideration quite mindfully. So, here's this incredible loft in the Lower East Side that has been customized, and but when I arrived, the school, the school, the kids are running the school. There was an absence of 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 adults stepping up, and it was so with with a with an assistant head it took about 6 months to wasn't about turning it around it it was it was just about listening and spending time and um
1: and observing and and and, and enabling the
2: adults to feel that they were worthy and that they had our support um, without being punitive, without being authoritarian, and so it was—it was a beautiful cultural shift, and uh, and that took a year, and I and I, uh, I and it was a middle school, and you know middle school kids are are made to to uh, make you be on your toes and and uh, and learn actively. Well, the state closed that school, um, and it's the only school, and I hope ever and will be, that I ever had to play a leadership role in in closing and of course as a charter school their charter was up for renewal in another year and you know they did fair to middling on standardized tests but that was that that was the anchor that took them down and it would have meant that kunskapsskolan would have had to invest a considerable amount of money more money for some reason that the doe was insisting and rather than put up the fight after two and a half years,
1: they closed it. Yeah, Um, you know, you often think about planning
2: ahead. This is the opposite. It's like, it is a death, you know, and you do go through the grieving and it is loss. Um, And I think what Hit me the hardest was this school was humming and when these people from the state department came to visit the school they never left the goddamn office all they did was read reams of paper and data maybe they went out to go to the bathroom and have lunch but did they speak to kids did they do uh, some classes? Yeah, it, it's. Uh, uh, I did find a way to write about it. That that was one way of of my dealing with this. So that was a that was a chapter that I have to say was of the most disappointing, ending in a kind of tragic way, much like um, in China with Tiananmen Square. Um,
1: so. Um,
2: That that ended, I mean, th- and there are many lessons and I, I had an opportunity come to me to be an academic advisor to a brand new international school in Saudi Arabia. And that has been my last um, part of my peripatetic journey. And it was, uh, and that too was such an ambivalent, perplexing, contradictory experience. I am, um, I was asked to basically write a proposal about it, about my ideal school, and of course, so I hunker down. It's the winter time, a couple of weeks upstate New York, and I, I I put out my ideal school, and I I and I make it solid, and um, and apparently it was compelling enough for a uh, one of the the heads of the MISC Foundation which is owned by the Crown Prince, um, if I'm interested in, um, in coming to visit uh, and to meet with the board. And I have to be perfectly honest, I, I'm, uh, my, my knowledge and insights and travel have very much been in Latin America, Central America, South America, somewhat in Europe, but I have been very, very ignorant. Uh, with regards to the Middle East, yeah? and certainly um, life in a Muslim country. So this, so I, I can only ex- describe the experience, which lasted a year, as a, as a chimera, as a mirage. The promise of a kind of the school was built on a palace, a refurbished palace. <laughs> 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 right, so and 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 I had a dear friend who was the technology director, and he's the one who kind of pried the door open for me, and so they had every possible toy they had they had fountains, I think, and no, they had these these incredible um, fish tanks in a number of I mean, it was just you know over the top in terms of technology facilities, boys separated from girls um. I had I had so many opportunities both to, and I wasn't the head of school, I'm an advisor, but I'm asked to uh, design and implement and do a summer institute, a two week long institute. So that's the first piece of work. Create our K-12 curriculum, um, create our professional development plan, And by the way, uh, we know you like partnerships, create partnerships with some of the most important educational cultural institutions in the world for Saudi Arabia.
1: So I had chances to create
2: remarkable, none of them came to fruition, but with uh, the Smithsonian, the Hall of Science in New York, the Media Lab at MIT, Bank Street College, of course I went back to, but alas, in the end, it was Project Zero at at, at Harvard.
1: Um,
2: it, it it was fraught with with all kinds of um, problems. It no the within six months, it was no longer an international school. It was a national school. It was tremendous division between the Saudi teachers, primarily women, all of whom had their masters and. And the foreign teachers, who were primarily um, a Canadian, lots of divisiveness, uh, catfighting. I mean, no, I've never seen anything like it actually. Um, so lots of dysfunctionality within the first year and a half, and a revolving door of of executive directors and principals. Well, I, I had so the principal who landed ended up to be a great colleague of mine, and she did an extraordinary job. But she too got fired at the at the end of the year. Uh, and my contract was not was not um, uh, picked up, but but that was oh there, there's so much that I I learned uh, from that uh, excursion. I came back and uh, came up here and ran an, an independent school called the Woodstock Day School for uh, three years, and on 150 acres of of this <laughs> um, and. Um, had a, a really challenging time of it. Um, I, I think in my history as, a, as an educator in, in the international or independent school world, I bump up against authority. <laughs> I bump up against um, boards. And when boards are parent run exclusively, woe to the head, <laughs> unless you're very savvy and very politically astute and uh, limber. Uh, I'm limber, but not in that way. Uh, and um, and that too, um, that running that school was also during the pandemic. And I'll end this on a very positive note, um, which is before two revolutions. I uh, I saw the very best in people during that period, and um, like everybody, you know, on March 13th, uh, we suddenly were living in a virtual world. And none of us really kind of knew what that was and would look like, but damn it, it brought out the most imaginative, the most collaborative, the most resilient parts of adults who sometimes were you know, in their own silos. And this is a small school, right? A progressive school. And a school that was, um, I would say, certainly the elementary school in early childhood, Completely adverse to the very to the idea of a screen, um, and yet they were the most creative in how to make circle time and story time something you could do using using Google Meets, right? So I I learned so much in that as a leader in that time of of urgency and and uncertainty. Um, and at the end of my contract, did not that—that dis- that was it for me in terms of I, I no longer could wanted to give all of my life that way to one place. Um, it's all consuming, and then fell into this life as a as a as a leader in residence with two revolutions, which has been given me. It's given me latitude. To tap into and return to the things I love and am passionate about, and that had to be put into suitcases or folders or drawers, right? And I'm talking about my my writing life, my my intellectual life. Um, and that's led to lots of wonderful opportunities to work with communities of practice. Um,
1: wow, what a journey. I thank you for taking us
0: on that journey it's a beautiful journey and I have thoroughly enjoyed traveling with you um to today and to obviously you know two revolutions so first of all I love the name um and the reason I love the name is as a linguist the word revolution I think, in a way, obviously I'm French as well, so I think the revolution has some really deep meaning. I often joke that perhaps in a past life I was a bit of a revolutionary myself, I don't
2: know. (laughs) We might have crossed paths.
0: Yes, maybe, I don't know, I often joke about that. (laughs) Um, But I do think that, in a way, a lot of my work I view as being like bringing a revolution in education but in not in a chopping people's heads off and putting them on a stick but actually you know in revolution there's there's for me one of my friends said you know revolution is is about revving the love to find a solution i
1: I really love that like that like
0: that (laughs) so so i love i love the name obviously um, and I would love, you know, because obviously your strap line is, you know, do what you love for good. Um, so I would love us to sort of linger here or meander here for for a little bit, sure. if that's OK. Sure.
2: Yeah. Um, a very brilliant colleague, friend, was the co-founder, uh, Adam Rubin. And uh, he and Todd Kern, 15 years ago, I think, um, and I, and i i was a colleague of adams at at um, at new visions where i got fired um, so i think to begin with they, so they live in the adult arena the adult learning space and and andragogy is their is their take right as opposed to pedagogy how how adults learn and they're disruptors at at heart and in spirit and um and yet they've managed to infiltrate States, whole states. So the, the way they work, um, to Revolutions gets contracts with states, school districts, universities, and um, and goes about disrupting <laughs> or or tries to do that in, in a way that that doesn't necessarily jeopardize their capacity to do the work, but it really is um, it is about that. So I work for them. I've worked for them in projects in New Hampshire public schools, and right now in Louisville, uh, Kentucky. Um, both as a there's a partnership that we have with Spalding University that is about um, cultivating change agents in the in the um, in the Jefferson County public school system, and um, the work in 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 New Hampshire was. Five seven years in in the making, but really had deep roots in helping New Hampshire move towards competency based education and moving towards alternative assessment systems. Um, for me, I'm learning what it is to coach virtually, so a whole new skill set of what we're doing, but also being the the playing a certain didactic role and not. But that's been a that's been a great source of both. Uh, great frustration, uh, I don't like Zoom, <laughs> well, I like Zoom. Now I like you, Zoom. But of, of the technical challenges, but also the dynamics of how you teach and, and what, what that feels like and looks like. So the last two and a half years have been a, a, um, a great learning curve for me as, as a coach and then as an instructor. Uh, and, and as a facilitator, right? So learning how to live in this world and making it a, a meaningful one and an authentic one, uh, without too many tabs on the screen and losing my way, you know. Um, so two revolutions is a is is like more than handfuls of lighthouses out there that are operating in a new paradigm. And that paradigm goes by different names, right? And and uh, learning centered uh, seems to be central, equity-driven, inclusive. Those seem to be kind of thematic threads through many organizations like Two Revolutions. It is a for-profit organization, um, but I think does it in such a way as, it is uh, forward thinking um, as a, as a as a business. Um, I so I'm a leader in residence, which is a great name, and and uh, and that gives me latitude as well. I kind of think my my residency is anywhere. There are curious, open, hungry, ambitious, um, unsettled um, learners that one affords something more meaningful and and purposeful in the way of of education. Um, It also gives me, um, I think deeper, it gives me a foot into the public school world where I'm not and yet through the experiences and the stories and the narratives, it's a mess out there. But it's important to stay grounded in the work that 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 very committed, devoted people are doing as teacher educators, teacher leaders. Um, and the ways that a broken system is either wavering and about to collapse or or people within that broken system are making meaning, even as the as the as the lights go out and the ceiling collapses, right? That's an exaggeration, but I think you get what I mean. Um, so that's been invaluable for me uh, to have that connection. Um. Yeah. So that that's what else can I tell you about two revolutions? Other than that, that they do good work, and it is probably the most human of organization. Not problem. It is that I that I've ever been a part of, and of course it's small. So maybe, well, everything's smaller. You can personalize um, more, but I believe that Adam. Uh, genuinely has a vision of of a, a of a a working organization where you 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 joyously bring your best self every day um, yeah uh, it it's uh, there's a lot to be learned organizationally for the, about the culture that they've they've been creating and and continue to evolve um And for me, it feels so good to have loose affiliations with different organizations. I like this life uh, because it it doesn't rob you as being a head of a school or a superintendent, or it doesn't rob you of that vital energy of constantly having to solve other people's problems.
0: And it's more joyful, right? I think I find with my work, that's what I love about the connections and the shining the light on all those disruptors, innovators, and the people doing different things is, is that you can love the work and shine the light on all those amazing things happening. Whilst also, you know, I was listening to your story. I think for me, a lot of the conversations around the change that needs to happen in education needs to be so much deeper than the just simply the surface level change that you were describing like you know those schools that then provide you with like all the singing and dancing things but underneath the underpinning of you know why are we all here and what's the purpose of this building and you know what are we co-creating together that's still based on the good old system that we all were schooled under right and and so I mean I I really like that and I also love the idea you know on, on the websites I read that you saw that, you know it's about supporting communities feel, you know communities and sort of feeling to become more vital and joyful and and joyous and you know integrated places of learning and that really resonates with you know like I really really resonate deeply with it in the sense of this is where my heart is it's like going way way deeper in terms of what is the connector between all of us and and you know how do we all come together together Regardless of skin color and you know shape and and origins and you know that real equity, um, not just humans but also like nature, the beautiful nature that you mentioned. You know you 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 lucky to live around, right? Um, I think for me that that's where the heart of it is. Yeah,
2: um, yeah. I I I I would I would use. So joy is is a universal joy. It's a unifier, and yet so many of the schools where our children go are joyless places. And so I think about these days, and I and I just uh, had an article published, uh, on laughter and learning. I think about. Um, the, these are central places that all of us need to enter in, um, and that is to think about how we can infuse that kind of sense of joy, well-being, happiness, ease, on a daily basis, both in our own personal lives and with intentionality at our schools. I'm going to keep this just in terms of of, of schools, right? Mm-hmm. And and um, And if we're intentional about doing that,
1: well, I wager that um,
2: those classrooms, those children, those those your peers, that everybody gets gets affected by that. Everyone is uplifted by that. Everybody feels um, whew, grounded in being human, and um, I can't remember. I can't remember a principal. In a school that I went, ever ever making a joke, ever necessarily smiling, like you know, to go to the principal's office, you're in in hot water. Or if a principal comes into your room, right, a classroom, oh shit, like so, am I being written up now? So so, this notion of of the environments that we live in, and and as school people, we live in schools. How do we infuse it with light? How do we infuse it with um, the natural inclination to play, to be leisurely, since we both know that you know all of us know that's where creativity lives um, in those in those idle spaces. Um, sometimes when we force ourselves, but but I guess what I'm saying is that um,
1: we can we can engage in all of the
2: structural. Uh, reforms and the curricular reforms and the reforms upon reforms but if you don't get at the heart of what matters of what of what of what human beings need of how they thrive of what they ask for then we'll we'll never we'll never get it right um but i think it it, it's not so difficult to beginning with one's own personal life what is that one thing you can do that you are nurturing, nourishing, feeding yourself um, as a way of acknowledging yourself and honoring yourself, and at the same time doing that with 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 students or doing that with teachers. And I don't mean necessarily, you know, going in front of a class or a auditorium and and a stand and you being a stand up comic. I don't mean. I mean that maybe, but not maybe. not that right. <laughs> um, Humor has, humor and play and joy has, has such an important part of being uh, a whole human being. And it's so conspicuously absent for most formal schools, except at recess and during sports. And recess, of course, the adults, that's the release time. So they're not there observing or recording or participating and then sports well that's the coaches and that's after school right so just um yeah
0: and that's why when you ask young people what's the favorite part of <laughs> of school they tell you break or you
1: know recess of course, yeah or, and and, or, and, and or so, lunch time right, yeah,
2: right of course <laughs> and yet in so many schools that i've unfortunately been around If a child is to be disciplined one of the first things to go is recess
1: i know i know it's just crazy it it's
0: uh yeah and and you know this lightness so the the playfulness the lightness i think as adults we've completely very often we forget it right because we could become so serious and so like, this is a serious matter. And, you know, it's a. And, and, and I really love that life force. I think just like for me, this sort of innate well being and wisdom we all have when you truly tap into
1: that.
2: You know, look, we, we know that the, the, the world is in a state of red alert, but at the same time, as human beings and as educators, right? We have to stop
1: taking ourselves so seriously.
2: I I think it opens up the floodgates of of um, of our humanity. You know, um, you know. The other thing that I was that, when thinking about joy and happiness and well being, I th- I've been thinking also about um, the the tradition of humorists. The tradition of um, uh, satirists, the tradition of humor as social as as humor as social critique, and it's amazing when you think about everyone from, and I'm thinking about you know sitting down with twelve year olds, right, and everyone from Aristophanes to Richard Pryor, right, who who kind of tell us to stop taking ourselves too seriously, um, and or and put the light on our hypocrisy. Such a such an untapped um, uh, part of the humanities that that teachers really could just run with.
1: Yes, absolutely, and they yeah, absolutely, and and you know one thing that you said
0: about the. You know, obviously uh two revolutions being being for profit. I today posted something on LinkedIn around um one of my issues around my work and what it is I've been putting absolutely everything in terms of open source bar my books because they've been published yeah. by publishers and I just you know, can't. And I went, I recently went, I was part of a sustainability workout. Um and, and I had time to reflect and, and, you know, was introduced to the three P's of, of sustainability. So planets, people, profits. And, and as they were talking about that, I was like, planet, yeah, great. Like people, tick, tick, yeah, sure. Profit. I I sense my whole body just like there was a real like, Ooh, what was this, like real tensing. Yeah. And. Um, And so I sat with it because obviously when I feel my body respond in this way and particularly more visceral responses. Um, So my initial response was, well, it's it must be because I'm from working class. So, you know, I kindly call myself white trash in a really loving way.
2: Um, Kindly and lovingly. Yes.
0: Yes. In a kindly and lovingly way. You know, I am definitely a a water lily. I, I come from mud for sure. But that's all good, all good.
1: That's
0: <laughs> and, all I've, good. and i've and i've fully embraced that in my that that's definitely who i am in this garden called life as a as a mum and a friend um as a professional i'm more a fungi uh or you know fungus but that's also good that also comes from from mud and dirt right so that's all that's, yeah. there's a common theme here um and this is lovingly and kindly that i say that but I knew that there was part of that, but I also then went deeper and in my post to sort of share that response to profit and, and I've been exploring. So part of the reason is because, sadly, I have both in, in, in my younger years as a teenager experienced what the worst of mental ill health looks like, both with my mum and other family members, um, but also, sadly, with a student of mine you know and we we don't need to go into details you know everybody will will get what I, where i'm i'm going um and so there's a part of me that has felt very strongly that i can't profit from from what's happened and i really feel, you know that that that's that's what emerged that you know i feel very strongly that I don't want to be part of a marketization of education oh. and I don't want to be selling well-being products for teachers and, and young people when really the basis of education should be about flourishing and lifelong learning and curiosity. Yes. And that was yeah. such an aha moment for me. Um, but, you know, to go back to what you were saying, actually, I've been looking, because I'm a linguist that looks at the etymology of profits and in the initial first sort of iteration of the word profit it was very much around progress and doing to to better to improve to do good
2: um i can live with uh, that
0: and that's it. that's why i looked at that and i was like yes okay then that p for profit yes i'm a yes i can tick and say yes to um that's been a really interesting and i obviously wanted to share that with you because i i think you know yeah it's linked to to what happened like this thing i shared today because i've been umming and ahhing whether i really want to share with people um but in the on the basis of being authentic and and you know with integrity then sharing with others i'm sure i'm probably not alone feeling
1: this way (laughs) so you're in good company yeah yeah amazing well i'm i could talk to you for hours
0: david but i'm also conscious that it's you know
2: what time is it in your part of the world it's uh
0: almost 10 past uh 10 so yeah uh, probably perhaps we can have another conversation Another
2: glass moment. of wine yes yeah. <laughs> if it's Definitely. At this time. it yes. would be a pleasure it would be it would be a pleasure the, the, because one of the things that i want to i would love to explore with you is around um intergenerational learning
1: yeah yes so maybe so so
0: until we can meet in person and you can come over and we have a a a glass of wine together to have a conversation perhaps we can have a part two where we talk about both that you know you've talked about place-based but also the real like intergenerational and the importance of that I think that would make a really good part two of our conversation oh,
2: uh, as I do I would really look forward to that
0: amazing wonderful so if we leave it here for today what is going to be your key takeaway for our conversation
2: oh, oh goodness that, that very
0: reductionist I'm sorry
1: David
2: no 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 no, <laughs> no, no. um <laughs>
1: that I've I've been been so fortunate to have had the journey
2: that I have, that I've made, that I continue to make. I I could have easily been a a principal in a school in New York and never left except to go on vacation, you know? (laughs) Uh, but I, that's not the world in the life that I wanted. So that's one of the takeaways that sitting back and looking at four decades or so of a life, um, the things that I cared about as a young man in high school and then in college, these are the same things that I return to in a deeper, richer way. <laughs> that's what I take from this. It feels like a circle.
0: Amazing. And thank you for sharing that journey. It's been really beautiful and I've really, really enjoyed journeying with you and through your story and I look forward to our next conversation.
2: Thank you so much, Fabian. Thank you. Okay. Good night now.
0: Yeah, thank you. for having- yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. You can also reach me via Twitter at FlourishingHe on LinkedIn or you can join our private Facebook group, Flourishing Education. All the links are easily available on anchor.fm. Thank you so much
1: and I hope you are flourishing. Bye for now.